Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, yo, Solar Warrior. Welcome back to Tactical Tuesday. These are conversations with subject matter experts geared to give you practical tools, tips, insights, and advice for building your solar and clean energy business or career and grow with us here on Suncast. If Thursdays are for our thoughtful, insightful kind of who's who of the industry, executive profiles, if you will, consider these conversations the what, when, how, where, the tools of the trade, as it were. And sometimes, like today, we bring you live content from one of our many live broadcasts as we travel around, as we so often do this time of year, to the many regional shows like the Midwest Solar Expo. Thanks to our friends at Antenna and Midwest Solar Expo for inviting us to be there in person. I got a chance to lead two keynote sessions that I found incredibly interesting. We're going to debut the first one here and again next Tuesday. Today, our expert guide is Mr. Karen Batraju, CEO and co-founder, industry luminary and thought leader of the company Arcadia, changing the way that community solar is done and enrolling hundreds of thousands of homeowners to projects that many of you are building throughout the Northeast and across the United States. Kieran and Arcadia have done more than just about any other company with regards to policy and the real legwork on the ground in each of the states that are adopting community solar with a very vested interest, I might add, that is helping lift community solar into the stratosphere. As Kieran said, it took us more than four years to get to a gigawatt of community scale solar, and uh, we'll hit two gigawatts less than a year after hitting that milestone. So we're seeing parabolic growth, proving that there is not really an issue with demand as much as supply. And that's all of you out there building community solar projects. Uh, he points to the fact that we need more programs, not politics. And there are certain states that can give us insight and guidance into what we should expect. Generally, Karen and his team have a pretty credible viewpoint on how community solar is uh, what he calls an unassailable category, how it benefits not just the elites, but the rest of us who want equitable energy access for all. Hope you'll stay tuned and listen in as I spend time live in Chicago at the Midwest Solar Expo with Kieran Batraju of Arcadia. Hey, I hope that this is the kind of content that you will routinely return back to to level up your game. Remember, you can always find the resources and learn more about Karen and other guests and recommendations on our show at the show notes page at mysuncast.com. While you're there, please make sure that you subscribe to our newsletter so we can let you know any of the content, like our live broadcasts, that you might have missed out on this week. And last but certainly not least, please take a moment to 
subscribe in the podcast player that you're listening to. Maybe it's Spotify or Apple, as many of you are listening in. Just subscribe to the show and leave us one of those five-star ratings and a review if you'd take an extra minute to do so. It truly does matter. It wouldn't be something I routinely ask for your support on if it didn't move the needle in helping move our industry forward. You can make your contribution not only by listening, but by letting others know that this is where you are learning and engaging and getting insights into the front lines of the clean energy transition. For now, let's get down to business and tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, with another practical, tactical conversation here on Suncast. So I'm going to spend some time with Karen this morning talking about how the market has evolved and what we need to do to go from, I mean, this is ridiculous that we've gone from eight megawatts total installed to two megawatts, and now we're going to 5X that, right? We've already got, in Illinois alone, the mission of 5Xing a market that has gone parabolic. So we're going to talk a little bit about how we got there, where we're going from uh, someone who I, as I mentioned, have gotten to know really well. He's an entrepreneur and an environmentalist from Western Kentucky coal country, Eastern, sorry, Eastern, Eastern, Eastern Kentucky coal country from Appalachia is building the nation's first digital utility focused on bringing renewable and efficient home energy to customers in all 50 states. Kieran Bashaju, welcome to this live episode of Suncast. Good morning. It's actually pretty phenomenal, this crowd after a night of dinner and drinks that I know all of you had to, to come out early. So good to see you all. I sort of touched on it right at the beginning, but it's remarkable the, the sheer scale that we've seen of Community Solar. When I first started chatting with you and Joel, you were you know, less than 100 employees uh, trying to help figure out where the next uh, markets were going to be beyond Minnesota and uh, Colorado. I don't even think Illinois was on the map. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about the Community Solar market six years ago to today. You guys have been around at it for eight years. Did you imagine it would grow at the pace that it has? Absolutely not. So the the congressman yesterday made a point that our our lizard brains don't do a good job of thinking about exponential growth, and especially in energy, in the world we all play in. When you think about competitive energy trends broadly, uh, whether retail energy and the growth of competitive retail markets, this has become the fastest competitive energy trend in the U.S. Joel Gamron, who leads our community solar team, joined us six seven years ago, and we kept looking at this and saying. It sort of uniquely solves all the ills of rooftop solar, which tends to be a rich person's product, which tends to, obviously, you need to own a home. You need to have the right roof. It needs to be slanted the right way. You need to have the right credit score. And we all know credit scores can be very regressive. And it just uniquely solved all these problems and came with this grid benefit of resilience, right? We're we're a tech company. We don't build solar projects. We don't own them. We work with all of you or our customers to, to manage those. But there's, there's a thing in tech that people talk about that is like the magic moment um, that you get interacting with technology. And so the first time, I don't really use social media much anymore, the first time I connected with like long lost cousins in India through Facebook, it's like a magical moment. The first time you use your iPhone to navigate a city you're not in, that's like a magical moment. If any of you have used ChatGPT uh, and played around with it, it's pretty magical. And Initially, when it was such a small market and it was only like one or two states, doing those customer interviews and talking to customers, they had this emotional reaction to community solar because they maybe were a renter. They wanted to go green but had no other way to do it. They couldn't sign a long-term agreement. 
that was like a magical thing. And at the time, the market was small. We needed legislation. We needed new markets. But it just was, it felt so plainly obvious that community solar was going to be bigger than rooftop solar. It wasn't going to be a demand issue because of like those, those unique, like that customer excitement. I'm going to be paying less and I'm, I don't have to do anything. There's no construction. There's no power plant I have to put in on my roof. And in the early days, we, we took a big bet. We went, we were set, we were doing all sorts of like interesting products in the early days. We, we obviously, we sold Rex uh, to customers. We did prepaid PPAs, which again was like, you had to, you had to put up the money to buy it, but you'd get money over time. And, but then really committed to this product, the growth of this market, you know, you look back six years, like it, it should, it's inevitable. It's inevitable that more states will open because it is such a valuable consumer experience. From where we sit, we're able to hear those stories every day. And it's, it's powerful. People want cleaner energy. It is confusing. It needs to be simplified and it needs to have a value prop that is better than the incumbent, better than the utility, which it is. So it sort of seems obvious, but even I, we were joke. we were uh, yesterday, my team and I were like, can you believe like, the, the growth this morning? Can you believe California is going to open up? Can you believe all the Midwest, like, you know, we, we're looking at Wisconsin and Michigan, that this is really happening everywhere. How long did it take to get to the first gigawatt of community solar? It took us six years, and we, we just, we reached a gigawatt uh, in October of last year, September, October last year. And my team's going to hate me for saying this, but we will absolutely hit two gigawatts within a year. Yeah. of that. And, and that goes back to, you know, this idea of exponential growth. Like we're all seeing it. We've now got the government helping, you know, with, with the IRA, making sure that, that that path sort of continues. You know, a lot of lip service is given to the idea that renewables broadly and community solar almost specifically requires uh, policy to lift it out of the mud, right? Can you talk a bit about the, the politics and programs that have gone into expanding this into new states. I mean, New York has uh, exploded. Illinois has exploded. You mentioned some of the other markets that you're looking at, but there are fundamental uh, sort of strategic initiatives that have to happen in each market for, like California, to lift it into existence. As far as community solar is concerned, can you talk a bit about that from the perspective of the technology approach and how you are how you're seeing the developers specifically wrap their minds around uh, what's required to get this market to work. Yeah. And I actually, frankly, I would love to see a lot more engagement. Um, and I'll tell, I'll tell a couple of stories. Like we, so yesterday uh, Zed spoke a bit about from next a bit about public service commissioners. So I, I grew up, if you could not tell from my Scots Irish name, uh, I grew up in Kentucky in Eastern Kentucky and 15 years ago, a, a family friend became a public service commissioner. He was a bankruptcy lawyer, knew nothing. I mean, and I, I love the guy. It, he's, he was, was an amazing public service commissioner for the state of Kentucky, very progressive in that role. But uh, he called me, a young 20-something-year-old, and was like, how does energy efficiency work? Can you talk to me about that? And it was just, it was just this moment of clarity of like, these are wildly important roles. Very few people are engaging with them, mm-hmm. uh, but they can change the trajectory of, of an energy regime in a state. Right. We have been, it, it is sort of foolish to, to not be engaged. All of our businesses are intimately tied 
with the, the regulations and the incumbents and the lawmakers in every state. And when we think about our, we call it market development, when we think about our policy team, they are sort of intimately tied with our business development team. And we've done some unique things. So we, uh, for those who remember this, like Uber at one point was uh, shut down in New York. I think it was de Blasio. I can't remember the, the mayor. And uh, they had no policy team before this. And they basically realized, you know, at that point, a pretty massive company uh, that their future was sort of intimately tied with how states and cities responded to them. But they did something that, that we, uh, we piggybacked off of. They got all of their customers within the app to push a button to send a message to the mayor and the mayor's office and the public service commission saying, I want, I want this service. And in Virginia, when the, the legislation was being considered, we went to the customers we had in Virginia that were working on, that were getting rec products. And we were like, you know, it's prepackaged, push a button. Probably more than half of them didn't know what a public service commissioner was, but they wanted solar. And that message got sent to the staff and the public service commissioner from our customers. And it's just an example of like new ways to engage. Like we have something I think about in our, our ecosystem is we're going to have millions of customers, commercial, residential, engaging with small-scale DG and solar, but are they activated to have, are we activating them to be proponents to expand these caps that we have, to expand markets, yeah. to pass new legislation? And I think all of us have a role in that to play. I mean, we obviously, we, we you know, we're, we're closer to the end customer um, and we're doing that work, but I think every, every developer that's, that's uh, in this market, if they're not sort of thinking about applying some amount of funds and effort to engaging lawmakers, I think you're doing the business a disservice. Yeah, for those who um, missed yesterday's lunch uh, session, I, we're going to replay it so you can listen to it on Suncast. But um, one of the things that we talked about uh, that, that Karen's referring to specifically is how important a role it is to have influence at a local level. And we are very clear how policy helps move things, but being able to influence in the right ways, positions that aren't at the legislative level, senators and Congress uh, representatives like uh, Representative Kasten, they're important roles, but on the ground at the public utility commission, at the public service commission level is something that I think a lot of us have yet to really fully embrace. You know, it's funny, your, your family friend who, I think it's apropos, he came to you, and I'll call this the Kasten effect because Sean uh, mentioned yesterday that on the floor, when anything comes up that has to do with energy, he's the energy nerd, right? They run to him, they ask for his advice. So how cool would it be if we had the Kasten effect in our communities that each one of you are the person that your town council runs to for advice, that your public service commission runs to for advice. In fact, there we suggest it that you think about running for public service commission, for public utility commission in your jurisdiction. As someone who fundamentally understands how the energy very, sector very works. Very few children dream of being public service commissioners, but I, I, it would be an amazing call to action if, if more folks in our industry, you know, this, this family friend, he, he was a friend of the governor. I mean, that's, that's often how these things work, but like 
getting engaged and being involved in like in those ways. I get this feeling too. At, I got this feeling at RE Plus from talking to people in the industry that we don't realize how little the outside world actually understands the work we do. DG, solar, storage, EV, all the stuff we're working on, the different types of solar. I think we're, the, the community is amazing, but can still feel so insular. But to your point, y'all are the experts and the stat, like state legislators, state senators, PUC staff, they should be coming to you to understand how does this actually, how do you actually get a project installed? How do customers actually want the stuff structured? I presume most people don't have like insight into exactly how you structure your business, but you're following, as you said, in Uber's footsteps in that regard. How much as a percentage of your staff's time, your overall budget, would you say you've dedicated to the concept of public policy and market making? As a percentage, when you think about when we do our budgets, we call it a market development team, and it's pretty tightly wound with our revenue goals and targets. So as we're sort of budgeting for sales folks, sales ops, et cetera, there's a, there's a big chunk for market development. Now, our business is, it plays across all of electrification. We, we, are, uh, we love community solar. I personally love community solar. We're going to continue to grow that market. But we also provide data, utility data, tariff data, payments to companies, again, across like EV companies, uh, solar, uh, storage smart home companies, retail energy, on and on and on. So we have a long, a lot that we're trying to get out of uh, commissions and states. That's around data access. It's around new time of use rates, et cetera. But we think about it, it is, it is core part of our go-to-market budget and a significant portion. You know, when you partner with our partner, Trina Solar U.S., you get more than best-in-class Vertex modules. You also gain a bankable partner for optimized compatibility and improved system value. With the Trina Pro Utility Scale Solution, or C&I Solutions, Trina Solar is the only PV module manufacturer in the United States that offers one-stop system integration solutions, including Trina Tracker, inverters, and full BOS support to lower your levelized cost of electricity. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Hey, can I borrow your attention for just one minute? How many of you in the residential solar install game right now would really say that your workflow is built to win? You know, in the 2010s, solar was all about sales. I think that the winners of the 2020s is really going to be contractors that focus on operational efficiency. See, margins are getting squeezed and there's a ton of competition out there, but Everyone has an opportunity to improve. Would you like to know the score of the value of your survey and design process? Would you like to hear about the evolution of the installer workflow? Well, then I would encourage you to join myself and my friend Jason Steinberg from Scanifly next Wednesday, the 31st of May at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Or maybe it's this Wednesday or maybe you already missed it and you need to go see the replay at any point. 
you are going to benefit from the insights that we're going to reveal. The benefits of a tech-driven solar ops program, the transition from manual to digital surveys, it's all there. I hope that you will check in, tune in, register, and uh, throw us some hard questions. We always love it in our live broadcasts. Join us May 31st, 2 p.m. with Scanifly. See you there. So the areas where your market development team have leaned in, can you give specific examples of outcomes that were architected or even that were serendipitous, but where you very intentionally either as the tip of the spear or as a coalition leaned in with that 20% of effort that gets 80% of the result? What are some of the results that as a community... We've collectively benefited from where Arcadia and peers have put policy in place. And, I'm, and I, I don't want to suggest that it's only Arcadia. Don't hear me saying that. I'm asking Kieran to speak on behalf of the coalition of folks that are, in fact, moving the needle on this. So, so yeah, absolutely. And it takes the, the, the developers, customers to make things happen. I mean, I'll talk on a small scale. Like, in some markets... Uh, you know, utilities are, are doing the crediting and billing entirely, and you know, newsflash, they screw it up because they don't care sometimes. It's, a, it's, it's sort of low on the priority list. We had a utility that, uh, in a community solar market, that wasn't publishing PDFs of bills, right? So how are we going to know how much capacity to allocate to you if we can't understand your data? They, they simply weren't publishing data. So like small, right? Small, uh, and the utility feels like, oh, we can get away with this. And we pressed on the public service commissioner. We activated some of our customers. And you, we went to the staff, right, of the public service commission. And they, they sort of forced the utility to publish the PDFs of bills that they have. That's sort of a small one. Um, you know, in some markets, uh, like Virginia and New Mexico, we've been pushing to institute a no-credit check, no-FICO check program. Not just something that a few developers and a few companies do, but like, the, you know, a core part of the market. Uncapping markets, Right. Like Maryland started as a relatively small, uh, I mean, Illinois, too, is, a, you know, with with some of the changes here, like being able to show progress. We're building projects. There's big pipelines. Customer demand is absolutely not the issue. And I think policymakers need to continue to like hear that customers want this and there's no lack of demand. And we are long demand. Okay, we have. So many, we have, we have uh, especially now that we're getting into commercial, uh, just a huge backlog of demand for these projects supplies the issue. So sort of big picture changes we all need to make is convincing policymakers to push the incumbent utilities to get uncapped markets, to deploy as much DG as we can, and do it efficiently and make sure they can actually <laughs> permit and do these things quickly. But then even these like smaller issues like, you know, data, data access for individual customers. What do you see driving the concept at the utility level for capping the market? Is it fear of, uh, well, sort of un- obvious, right? un- un- <laughs> unbridled growth is, uh, I mean, it's, the, it's I, I think this utilities is the don't like competitive energy trend. Yeah. Everyone has so many things, amazing things to say about the IRA, but it is enabling IPPs to do more faster own assets mm. in ways that, yeah, I think scare the incumbent. Yeah. Now, community solar can be cited and is a great, has a great resiliency benefit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, 
you know, has amazing equitable access in a way that solar hasn't had traditionally. Right. But of course, it's utilities looking at this saying, who's owning these projects? Why are they on my grid? Hmm. <laughs> and that is the battle we all fight. And, and I think, you know, Zed said it best, like, uh, it's the folks in this room who are the new IPPs, the new, the new utilities, yeah. who need to push back and make this point that at the end of the day, the customers want our products. Mm-hmm. They want solar storage, EV charging. They want community solar, rooftop solar, commercial solar. But yeah, it's, it's sort of, about, it's, it's the incumbent saying, I want status quo. What is your perspective of how the IRA is rolling out, how the tax credits are being handled, whether or not it's going to be the, uh, the, the enabler that we believe it's going to be? What's your perspective on it presently for the community solar market specifically? Look, I, I think it's going to be a 10-year tailwind plus for, for the market. There's a specific tax credit for low in, a low-income adder to have low-income off-takers for projects. Um, we were supposed to get guidance a month, two months ago. They ended up pushing guidance out to the end of the year. And obviously, like, you know, we all live in these roller coasters. That was a pretty big one coming out of August uh, at Arcadia, expecting we were going to get, we're going to, you know, we've been acquiring and, and verifying low-income customers for various state markets. We've been doing that work. Pipelines are growing, but the ability to actually, like, turn on those projects have to wait. Right to get those credits, and, and obviously it's a it's a pretty it's a remarkable set of credits you can get for a pro, for a project developer. So we've seen a bit of stall. But one of the things that I think is really interesting, speaking of state and local, is the federal government basically dangled hundreds, you know, hundreds and maybe a trillion dollars in tax credits, dangling to states to say basically enable your state market to take advantage of this federal largesse. If you want your local communities to do infrastructure projects and developers locally, pass a bill. And this is, you're seeing this in Michigan and Wisconsin right now. A big argument is like, oh my God, there's billions of dollars that should flood into our states. We need to enable these markets. And that's an amazing argument for all of you to take back to the conversations you're having. It's like, why does New York and, and you know, why do the big states, Illinois, who has an uncapped market now, we're, you know, we're seeing huge growth here. West Virginia considered a community solar bill. Uh, it didn't pass, but we're going to get there. Um, but that was part of the argument, too, was like, we should get some of this federal largest. So I think that's, that's the thing. That's where I see an acceleration of state enabling programs and uncapped markets because of all the, the federal dollars. So if you could wave a magic wand and help write a playbook for every company that has a policy team, to go to their local community and from the ground up help write the community solar legislation, where are the policies that you would incorporate into that playbook? What, what do you see that's working and what should we try and avoid and say, you know, actually not like this example over here? And I'm wondering if you can give some specific examples for folks that are going to take civic action, that are going to maybe go to West Virginia and, uh, and help the delegates understand what's well, going to, I'm going to simplify that question. Cause I don't think everyone has the, the tool set to go say, Hey, this is exactly what won the program. I, I literally think it's important for, for everyone in this room to just go to a local lawmaker or their staff and just say, here's my business. Here's what I do. Here's my products. Here's why consumers love it. You know, here's some of the challenges I have. 
it's not about like, hey, let me lay out for you a 10-point program, uncapped markets, 60-day permitting, um, all the data from customers, you know, access everything. You, you don't, you guys don't, like, not everyone needs to do that. I think the most important thing is just, hey, uh, you know, Joe and Sally, who are staffers, I just want to tell you about my business. It's in your community. We're, we're providing jobs. We're finding grid resilience. We're providing clean energy. Here's what I do. Because, I mean, even the conversations, our regulatory teams, they're just like, oh, these staffers had no idea that there was a community. Like, you you know, we still are not telling, we're not even letting people know we exist, I think, in certain circles. So it's simpler than laying out a 20-point plan. I know I'm spending a lot of time on what we can do. It's like called arms of how we can spend our energy and effort. But I really believe that we are, we perceive that we're winning the war, right? But we're losing battles every single day at the local level in the narrative. You know, you and I got into a, a fun conversation yesterday around energy justice. And we like to say as a community that community solar unlocks energy access. And it does. But a bit, it's like preaching to the choir, right? Because there is a, lo- a broad swath of the country that could care less about unlocking energy access as an equitable category. What are some of the useful narratives beyond this is what my company does and this is how we are meaningful to our community that you are seeing begin to surface to counteract the narrative from energy 1.0, from fossil fuels, that renewables doesn't work, community solar is dangerous, we got to cap this, it's going to be unbridled growth. What are some of the narratives that are working now or that we need to begin fostering? Community solar is such an incredible product for the consumer. And it's like hard to, it's hard to overstate that. And, you know, you're getting cheaper than the, util- cheaper than the utility power 90, 95% of the time in the U.S. now with community solar, which is amazing. We've been pushing no contract, no credit check, simple, easy access for communities that have been left out. Look, I actually, so, I mean, I would push a little bit and say, like, that argument actually has a lot of value, a lot of value to say, to, to talk about access. Even in a state, I bring up West Virginia. I'm uh, a close friend who's running a rooftop solar company in West Virginia, and they are growing the West Virginia market 2x every year by adding uh, like 20 megs uh, to the grid every year. That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> but, he, you know, they do not, the customers there do not care about the clean aspects. They're saving money and they get resilience. Their attach rates for batteries are, uh, you know, 50, 60%. And for them, it's access to reliable power, right? There is also a really strong argument that is, why don't we have competition? And we've had waves of this in energy, but like, that is still a very valuable message in a lot of states, frankly, a lot of purple and red states that want to push against the big corporation, the big incumbent. Why don't we have competition? And obviously, the benefit of that is more energy access. So we'll get the same ends, a different means, a different narrative. But look, I mean, I think a lot of the fast growth of community solar has been the push to, to give access to black and brown and poor communities. And I do think community solar, ultimately, you'll see program designs that are for commercial, small commercial offtake and communities that have been left out. So uh, lower income, middle income communities. Um, I, I think that actually is, is a very strong unassailable message. Unassailable. That's a word that we should hold on to. Community solar is an unassailable market. You know, I'll use this to go to something that I think is a a discussion on the evolution of how community solar works, right? 
Uh, I said that I don't think community solar is unassailable when we last talked about this because, simply put, community solar is just repackaging utility solar. It's finding people who are willing to pay more uh, or pay, yeah, pay more than um, the, the existing retail rate for uh, energy or that aren't constrained by their corporate budgets or whatever. So community solar worked because we had huge corporate tenants that would anchor projects. We would put it on larger swaths of land than just their rooftop would hold. Um, but nevertheless, it was an enabler in the way that PPAs early were an enabler. Where do you see the market evolving beyond you know, five, 10 megawatt blocks that we break into smaller projects for community solar. And what I'm referring to specifically is how do you see the distributed generation market adopting community solar as a mechanism for rooftops with batteries um, and electric vehicles? Yeah. yeah we, so I think a lot of, maybe a lot of you guys, a lot of our developer customers ultimately will become microgrid developers. Um, we're seeing a lot of so there's a couple of things we're seeing is like a lot of community solar now on commercial rooftops, you know, large commercial rooftops where the commercial offtaker maybe can't. And it's, it's a much easier project to finance because you've got offtake that's fungible. We're starting to see a lot of multifamily projects. You obviously can't do a lot of solar on multifamily, but you, if you pair it with storage, it kind of looks and feel, and you have, you know, multiple tenants in the building, kind of looks and feels like community solar. It's a single asset, multiple tenants, we have some projects we're working with that are solar storage EV charging. It's even more difficult to build than what you've already been experiencing. Yeah, but, but these are, these are going to be very high margin because you're offsetting the retail rate projects. Customers want access uh, if you can provide a cheaper product. That's sort of one, that Halo is cleaner. We, as like a, a technology enabler of all these different, you know, all the work that developers are doing, we're seeing a lot of the change in the market because of these new products. EV charging being like a high demand product for people who, um, especially for these multifamily buildings, it's an exciting time for sure. But there's there's going to be new new structures coming down the pike. I mean, even in Illinois, we have a ton of developers who want to build projects outside of the rec benefit for community mm-hmm. solar. Just simply, you know, building into the market and getting getting the retail and transmission uh, value. And I think we're going to see a lot more new structures like that too. One of the things you said earlier just leveraging technology platforms as a public service on behalf of the coalition of what we call the clean energy revolution, I think is something that we as a community have failed to really take grasp of. And the numbers are only going to grow. It's stunning. It's stunning. I don't know why the mic keeps going out, but it's stunning. The level of influence tech companies have generally I mean, we've seen it in our general sort of population, elections and everything else. There's no reason why, as an industry, we can't leverage technology like Arcadia and even Scanifly. Like, think about the software like Solo or Scanifly or Aurora that people are logging into every single day, where we all are aligned on the messages we want to communicate to our constituents, for lack of a better word. And... I think that it's really incumbent on us to, fig- to try to think about how do we leverage the technology platforms that are available to get a unified message, which at the levels of, of SIA and the state uh, in- industry associations, we definitely want to try and accomplish. Solar app certainly works towards providing this sort of unified messaging. But I would encourage everyone to think about and ask 
your service providers how they can leverage their technology platforms to communicate messages, to make it super simple to reach at a state level your senators, your representatives, even your public utility commissioners, your public service commissioners. That idea had not really crystallized or been clear to me until you mentioned how you guys use it, but I think that it's a really powerful... We are coming of age as an industry, right? And as we come of age and we realize the power that we have and that we can move an entire populace in our society towards more equitable distribution of electricity, one of the things that is a right for all of us in a modern society. Yeah, I, I, think you're, I think you're right, but I think a lot of us are still scared to poke, poke the bear, okay. poke the utility, and push back. And, uh, and, and I, I think that's the thing that needs to change. Mm. Like we, we all are going to be stymied by the incumbent. You know, we need uncapped markets, right? We need to permit and install faster. Yeah. Um, we need access to data. And it's just everyone here poking and pushing. Access to data. Well, we're not going to solve that today, but I did want to ask one final question in the 30 seconds or so that we have left. Uh, and it's quite simple. Um, I don't know that you have a simple answer for it, but what keeps you up at night? Someone who sees this market and the potential that it beholds. Someone who has, I would say, influence and access to more data than most. What keeps you up at night? Honestly, it's the incumbents. It's very powerful to protect the status quo. And the rate of return creates an incentive structure that is that uh, I think you're going to see a lot. I think you're going to see some utilities looking to rate base a lot of the work that you guys do. And they're going to say it's in the benefit of, you know, yeah, just look at Arizona. <laughs> yeah. I, so it, it's like we're, we're we've been I think we're at a, the most fascinating time for the grid in the U.S. and effectively who has access to it and. I do worry that some of the incumbents are, uh, you look at like in Florida, FPNL, they've sort of taken over the conversation saying, oh, we're going to do it all. We're going we're gonna to do it all ourselves and we're going to raise rates on customers. Mm. Um, and to me, that's, that's like, you know, at the end of the day, like the customer is going to be the one that drives this market into the future, the products exist, the experience exists, and that's exciting, and that's why we should win. But to your point, we need to make sure that those, those stories are being told. Mm-hmm. Why is this better than the incumbent? Resilience, clean, better value prop, economic development, et cetera. That is the thing that uh, I think about often is like the utilities effectively are the platform, but that platform needs to be unlocked <laughs> to allow us to all install our projects and do the work we want to do. Yeah. Well, I think that few in the last six years have made as much progress at unlocking and poking the bear of that platform as Arcadia. I commend you for the work that you've done. Also, I want to say thank you to all of you because the work that's happening here in Illinois and in the Midwest is tremendous. It's an example for many, many other states of what's possible. It might not be perfect in Illinois or Minnesota or Wisconsin or Michigan or how they decide to do it, but it is progress, and progress is what is needed, Karen, as always pleasure spending time with you thanks for sharing from your from your perch from your perspective in the market this was fun all right so warrior well i hope that you are feeling inspired and equipped and i just want to say thank you again to the midwest solar expo and to our friend karen batraju of car arcadia for sharing the stage giving us a chance to learn in real time what's happening in the midwest and how that can be extrapolated out to other regions states what kinds of policy reforms are necessary to ensure that the fourth vertical of community solar truly does 
get scale and adoption in all of our states, not just the precious few that have supported it so far, uh, like Connecticut, New York, and Illinois, Minnesota. Much of the Midwest has really embraced community solar. Who will be next? California is coming online. Other states are coming online, as you heard Karen mention. Next week, we'll talk with Zad Ashai from Nexamp, another major player in the community solar market. But before that, we've got Miss Catherine Hamilton. That's a name you might recognize. Catherine Hamilton will be here on Thursday for Executive Profile. She's the co-founder of 38 North and also, yes, past co-host of The Energy Gang, one of yours and my favorite podcasts in the space. If you're looking forward to hearing a very interesting, insightful, and uh, reflective conversation with Catherine Hamilton, join us again on Thursday for our Executive Profile. It's a, it's a very wonderful conversation that I enjoyed immensely. I think you will as well. If you want to enjoy even more like this, there's more than well, almost 600 episodes now, along with resources, highlights, and uh, insights from the discussions we've had over the last nearly eight years of uh, clean energy business, the transition into the solar industry for many executives across the spectrum. That's all over at mysuncast.com. You can click down on the show notes and learn more about each one of our guests. And if you've been wondering how you could partner with Suncast as our other advertising and sponsor partners do, well, you can find out more about that at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Learn how to reach additional scale with your message through our audience. Or just find ways to commune with other like-minded souls or get yours truly to help you on your business prospects and messaging. Love to do it. In the meantime, remember, you are what you listen to. I'm grateful that you listened in here. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>